Welcome to the Electrician Success Podcast. I'm Greg Allen, and this is your daily performance boost. If you're interested in signing up to the Electrician Success Academy, we've got an offer at the moment for anyone that listens to this podcast. Use the coupon code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, all in capital letters, to get 10% off, a lifetime 10% off, any of the memberships. So thanks again, and let's start this episode now. Hey, Tony, how are you? Yeah, you good, Greg, yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. Thanks for joining us uh, today. Really excited to have you on on board and uh, I just want to kick it off with uh, what you were talking about before the, the uh, we went live today and it's about your riding that you did on the weekend. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, right, okay. I've just finished doing the uh, LaTap Australia event up in uh, Lake Jindabyne, uh, which is just out of Canberra and it was a 157-kilometre ride uh, with about 2,700 metres of elevation. Um, they had about 2,300 cyclists doing it in the race, in the wow. long race, and uh, uh, managed to cycle along with Chris Freemy for a while, which was pretty pretty cool. Yeah. His pack of guys. Um, I led him up a couple of hills. Um, <laughs> nice. And, uh, but, uh, yeah, those guys were motoring. You know, we uh, we did 120 k's um, fairly fairly easily until we got to the first climb, which was Le Boc, uh, and it's about a 3K climb at an average of about 22%. Wow. Um, so there was a lot of... A lot of lot of lot of carnage on that. A solid and, ride. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and the last thirty kilometres of the climb was um, averaging about seven eight percent, uh, and it took me uh, two and a half hours, um, <laughs> which was just it was just brutal with the elevation, uh, um, yeah, the altitude, the whole lot. It was just uh, yeah, brutal, yeah. brutal. But uh, yeah, a lot of fun. Really well run at run events there. Have you been so, training for yeah. that for a while or? No, look, I've just come back from um, uh, running the New York Marathon. Um, so I've only I've only had four weeks of riding in my legs. Um, my uh, my my efforts were fairly well concentrated on the New York Marathon. Yeah, up to up wow. to that. Point. And it was just a fun, fun thing. So, yeah, so yeah, it uh, sounds yeah. pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, wow. the last year I've done uh, the last year I've done three three Ironman events and uh, and and one marathon, uh, and then this ride here. So uh, yeah, well done. Uh, that's it's... fantastic. How yeah. did you um? So in doing that sort of intensity and volume of exercise, like now, how do you fit that in around your business and everything that you're doing at work as an electrician, electrical contractor? I think um, I think it's just something that you have to fit in. You know, you need you need you need time for yourself. And um, I think you know I'm coming up 50 years old now. When I was um, when I was in my early 40s, I'd I'd sort of you know worked pretty hard. You know, from from probably 30 30 onwards, I'd I worked ridiculous hours and uh, and did a lot of crazy stuff. And I had a I had a mild bout of depression in my early 40s. Oh really? And, uh, I was uh, I was a little little overweight at that stage. I was about uh, 20 kilos heavier than I am now, and um, you know the the psych guy that I went to talk to, he said, "Look, you know, don't worry, you're not a basket case." But uh, he said, "You know, go and get yourself fit and start doing a bit of exercise, and and that'll help you, uh, you know, mentally deal with things, you know." And uh, and that's why I sort of I sort of got into it, and uh, the more I did of it, the more I enjoyed it, and uh, I just sort of kept kept going. It was always good to have a another goal in front of you, you know. So, um, so you obviously did you exercise when you were younger, or that's something that's just come about because of the amount of no, work look, that I you've been doing. No, look, I spent the majority of my um, my youth and um, probably up to the, my mid forties as a uh, as a sailor. Um, yeah. I did uh, I did a lot of lot of um, lot of sailing. I sailed international fourteens for seven years, and I was lucky enough to uh, to have five years sailing um, eighteen foot skiffs. Yeah. Um, so that was um, that was a really great experience, and I've done twenty Brisbane and Gladstone yacht races um, and one Sydney uh, Hobart. Yeah, right. So um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been uh, in Hamilton Island race weeks and Airlie Beach race weeks, and um, I've sailed in you know overseas in New Zealand for uh, regattas, and uh, yeah, so it's been it's been great, you know. But yeah. uh, sailing sailing sort of got to the point for me where I think. Um, 
you know, I think when I did my, my Hobart race, I'd done 6,000 nautical miles that year. So yeah. I spent a lot of time at sea. And, um, you know, after that, I felt fairly content to, um, to spend a bit more time closer to home and, uh, and looking after myself a bit better. Yeah. What were you doing for work then? Are you were an electrician then when you were doing all that sort of stuff as well? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, the, uh, the, way the, the, the way that the business um, sort of rolled out is I, I left school um, in grade 12, didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, I, I wanted to be an architect, but I didn't, uh, I, I didn't get a TE school high enough to jump in yeah. um, to, a, to a uni degree. So um, dad at that stage gave me the, uh, the opportunity to, um, to come and work for him. So, um, yeah, did my apprenticeship and uh, that's, uh, that's how I ended up there. Yeah, right. Um, and was, yeah. did your dad own Arnold's before you did? What's that, mate? Did your dad... In, you'll have to excuse me. I'm in the middle of a Northern Territory... Um, Flood. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's absolutely... It was fine with blue sky when I walked in 15 minutes ago and it is now... I reckon we'll get about 50 millimetres of rain in the next 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it'll stop and the skies will open up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, all good. Sorry, mate. I was just asking you, so did you go from your apprenticeship, was that with your dad and was that the same company that you're in now? Yes, yeah. I've, uh, I've only ever had one job interview in my life and that was with my dad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I said, Dad, don't look like I'm going to get in the uni. He said, well, you better come work for me and uh, do a trade. So uh, I did that and then uh, progressed uh, when I came out of my time. Uh, things were a bit tough at work and um, we'd grown a bit and then um, mum and dad sort of fell on some pretty tough financial times due to a couple of jobs going pear-shaped on them. Uh, okay. um, and we went from a crew of about 70 guys down to down to sort of 25 or 30 fairly rapidly and um, just sort of batting down the hatches and... Uh, and at that point, you know, a couple of years out of my time, I, I came back into the office um, as a as sort of like a work coordinator, general manager, and and, uh, and I basically did that until um, the year two thousand when I actually bought the business off mum and dad, and they um, they both retired from the business. So yeah, I've had it for nearly seventeen years by myself now. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. And why was the re what was the reason and why did you become an electrician to begin with like it was it wasn't just because your dad said come work with me what, what did you like about that I'd, I'd done work experience with dad through holidays and uh, and I kind of liked the, the the physical part of it and I liked the uh, I liked the technical aspect of it um, yeah. and we did a lot of uh, we did a bit of industrial um, work and and I liked the control side of things and how things work electrically and uh, yeah, look, it was um, it was just something that really piqued my interest, and um, as soon as I finished my trade, I I um, went and got my contractor's ticket because I I sort of knew at that point in time that my future probably laid within the electrical industry, yeah. and um, I thought, well, if I'm going to have a go, I better better learn how to do it. And and back then, a contractor's ticket you needed to um, you needed to do a full year at TAFE, and there was business modules, and there was estimating modules, and there was All right. um, technical modules, and and uh, it was fairly fairly involved, so that was a full year at night school yep. to get my contractor's license. So um, you know, and I think that really provided a good uh, a good foundation. Um, you know, for, for for just being able to trade on and, and and get through the tough times. You know, you know you know how to identify what's right and what's wrong pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, what do you think about it being two years now? Uh, two weeks now? Like, <laughs> is that enough oh. time for? I just don't think it's enough. It's just not enough time, you know. And I think if if there's one thing in this industry that um, that you know, from a training perspective, that's letting letting the the, the modern contractor down um, is that there's just not a not a solid base of business grounding um, or estimating grounding um, mm. for contractors. And and I think a lot of a lot of contractors, and I try not to generalise too much because you know I have a lot of respect for for people who have the courage to go out and start their own businesses. Um, but um, you know, it's just so important to know exactly where your costs are and not not lean on a counter next to another contractor and go, you know, what are you charging? You know, are you charging sixty dollars an hour or fifty dollars an hour or ninety dollars an hour? Yeah, you know, which is I I think generally how. How blokes new to the game sort of find out, you know, well, okay, if I, if he's charging ninety, then I'll charge eighty, and I'll and I'll start winning a bit of work, you know, where it's not about that at all. It's about 
knowing your costs and knowing your margins and and um, you know having all the having all the commerce practices you know correct in your business before you you go out and you go and work for Mr and Mrs Jones who are probably the hardest people in the world. You know? Yeah, yeah. Well, yep, and they'll yeah. they'll screw you down. So with Bloody yeah, have you got any tips for contractors out there now, like on in terms of knowing your costs? So what would be something that they could do proactively to to get to that point and go, okay, so once I've worked out all my costs, how much do I need to charge now to make a profit? Look, it's not that hard. You know, we do uh, in electrical contracting. Um, you know, we probably sell we sell two things. You know, we sell material and we sell labour. Um, and you know, through a range of contractors, um, we've all got slightly different levels of expertise. And I think if you can find little niche markets, and you know, that's all well and good. But as far as finding your costs, um, you know, it's quite quite simple. You can talk to MEA. Um, Marshall Electricians Australia, and they've they've got they've got calculators there that will, will will actually work out what your correct hourly rate is. So you know you've got to work out you know whether you've got one guy, and that's probably a good place to start. You know you work out what his base hourly rate is, and what his sick pay is, and and his superannuation, and his holidays, and his leave loading, and uh, and and all of those things. Yeah. Um, and, and you've got to factor all that in, and then you've got to you know obviously apply your um whatever your overheads are at that at that point in time, you know, and it's um, it is a moving target, you know, when you go from one guy to two guys to three guys, it um it can get out of hand really, really quickly and it's uh it's important that you look at your costs, you know, on a you know, on a monthly basis. Um, yeah. you know, we'll we'll actually do it in our business. Um, you know, basically every two weeks we'll 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 look back and look forward. And, and figure out where our labour resource is and, and how that labour resource is actually affecting our overhead recovery, you know, because obviously the more amount of, the, the more amount of people, the more amount of hours you're selling, it, it basically affects your, your, your overhead recovery comes down, you know, because you're yeah. selling a lot more yeah. labour to, uh, to compensate for it. Yeah. So, so what do you, you know, use, what do you use to look back and look forward at, do you have any apps or tools or software that you use for that? Well, we use uh, we use Simpro um, and we use Zero uh, as our our fiscal reporting, um, and we also use a bolt-on module to Zero called Float, um, which gives us all of our which um, which gives us all of our cash flow forecasting and that sort of stuff. So, Excellent. Uh, that all works pretty well. We actually so, use uh, the same three in our business. Yeah, that response. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <You're> good. <laughs> yeah, they're, Smart all, they're all great. So that's uh, all the good guys are doing it. <laughs> that's uh, reassuring knowing that you, you use that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Cool. <laughs> and look, it's really powerful software and um, you just got to get in and, and figure it out, you know, and uh, I'm probably lucky enough I've got, I've got people a lot smarter than me that know how to really, you know, ring its neck and get, get everything out of it, you know. Yeah, so, that's cool. You know, I think... Fundamentally, whether you know the software inside out, it doesn't really matter. If you've got the business fundamentals in your head, then that's a great place to start. You know, you can do it in an Excel spreadsheet. You can do it on a Fullscap page. You know, yeah. it's, uh, you don't have to be a, a tech genius or a Microsoft genius to uh, to figure that sort of stuff out. But um, yeah, yeah just that's, that that's the back end of zero anyway. It's all Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so that's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. yeah. Exactly. So um, exactly. tell me a little bit about... Um, how Arnold's, your business, has changed from when you started as an apprentice all the way through and some of the experiences you had that went like shift your gears in terms of an electrician. You went, oh, if I learnt that, then I can go to the next level um, in your business. What is that yeah. from the start? Yeah. Just give us a bit of a rundown. Yeah, well, I guess when I started in the business, you know, there was um, we didn't have computers. Um, you know, computers were a new thing. We had one computer at work and, uh, and we were running, um, I can't even remember the name of the financial software that, uh, that we started with, but it was pretty archaic. Um, and we only had one computer and I used to do all of my estimating longhand. So we had sheets of paper and basically write down all the materials. You know, it could be a, half a million dollar job and you would have sheets and sheets and sheets, you know, built up of rates and materials and, and carry them all forward and build up your own front sheets, you know, all by hand. Yeah. And, uh, 
and my lovely wife Patricia was a teacher when we when we got together in my my mid mid to late twenties, and uh, she was watching me one day, you know, working over this raft of drawings and and you know with my calculator punching away at 100 miles an hour, and she said, "What the hell are you doing?" I said, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm doing a quote, and she said, "Well, you know, if you if if I teach you how to use Excel, you'll halve the amount of time it's taking to do these quotes because yeah. we'll be able to set it all up and proformers and." So that was a big leap forward for me, you know, becoming computer literate and, you know, learning Word and learning Excel and, and then later on Myob and, and then, you know, it's, it's all carried through from there, you know. But, um, yeah, all the, advan- all the major advancements have come out of, you know, software and technology and, and that sort of thing, you know. It's, you know, if someone had told me way back then, we'd be able to open up a screen on my computer and see where all of our vehicles are and, and what they've been doing and where they've been going and when they've been stopped and when they've been started, I would have said, nah, there's no way in the world that could ever, could ever happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the last ten years have been crazy for that sort of... Yeah, well, I originally, I got my first mobile phone and it was about this big, you know, it was just this <laughs> mon- monstrous brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But it was the it was the greatest thing since sliced bread because you know before that we had pages and you know the pager used to go off and you used to find the public phone and you put your thirty cents in and, and ring Call the office someone. And, right oh, where <laughs> where have I got to go right okay ah oh, so, right yeah yeah so back then communication was really important because when you rang back to the office and they gave you job details they had to be really concise at you know, you've got to go to this place and it's got to be this time and you've got to contact this person and this is their phone number if you, you know, if you wow. can't find them, you know. So it, uh, it's not now, it's all at your fingertips now, you know. When you want to know something, you just pick up your phone and ring someone and away you, away you go. Yeah, I guess um, the expectations would have changed as well but that's that's would have been good to have that practice before getting software because I've only ever, at response, we've only ever had I think I was in my second year of business and I got Simpro. And so, yeah, right. yeah. and so I was like, I've got to yeah. get the best. And, but that, at that time, that's where it was at. And we had mobile phones and everything. So, yeah. um, but yeah. it would have been good just even thinking about it now to have those, you know, you have to be so concise and you had to be on site at the right time. Otherwise, you had to find a pay phone and get that, call the customer. Right, yeah, and you talk about scheduling. We had job cards, you know, so we write write a job card out, everything on the job card, and a, and a card would sit in the office, and a card would go out with the with the tradesman, and mm. he'd write all his materials in his labour on the back, and the job card would come back, and you piece it all together, and you and then you invoice the client. So yeah, yeah, it was a, it was a process. <laughs> Yeah. Cool. All good. All Sweet. Good. Yeah. And so is Arnold still in the same type of work that as it did back when you started or is it has it evolved over in terms of the electrical probably, work? Yeah, it's probably evolved. We've, we've, if anything's changed, we've got into, um, you know, we've got a better, uh, probably a better quality of service base now. We work for, um, you know, Telstra's. And, and those sort of people, which we mum and dad always had had uh, Telstra and Australia Post as key as key clients, and uh, and I think we we only worked out the other day that we've actually been working for Telstra for about forty six years now. Oh yeah. So um, <laughs> in 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 one way, shape, or form, you know. Yeah. So uh, so, uh, but you know, as far as that, our um, we've always done a lot of commercial office fit out work um and that has been you know in brisbane i guess that's what our company is is really known for as being a, a solid performer in that area and um we got a great team of guys but the projects that we do in that that segment of the the market now are a lot bigger because we've been exposed to a you know a, a, a better quality of client and builder and and um builders that really want good quality and um and the comfort of knowing that they've got a contractor that's going to deliver to a you know to a fairly fairly high um, quality standard you know but, yeah um, aside from that we've always dabbled you know up to about seven or eight uh, probably seven or eight years ago we dabbled in the industrial market doing smaller industrial projects and that sort of stuff but uh, we had an opportunity seven years ago to um, to get involved with some fairly major um, industrial work and. Um, and that really has, you know, we've had a great leap forward as far as our industrial divisions concerned. We 
we now employ about 50, 50 odd guys just in the industrial division. So yeah, right. Um, and do a lot of work for the BHPs and Rio Tintos and yeah, and uh, and the likes. So yeah, it's um, it's been good. So like, <clears throat> what are some steps that contractors could take to start working for quality builders, like the ones that you started to pick up? What do you think were the things when you started implementing X? That's when you were able to get those customers and clients. It really taken. It really did take us a long, long time, you know, because we were only a small contractor. We only had twenty odd guys, you know, and I was. We were doing construction work. Um, we really wanted to to sort of work for better quality clients, and and I identified two that we really wanted to work for in Brisbane, um, and I just I just rang them and I just bugged the bejesus out of them. Um, <laughs> for probably a year and you know they were, they were nice enough and they gave us opportunities to price stuff and you know we would price and we were just you know they, they never felt that they had the confidence to to actually give us a give us a large job and yeah um, it was just uh it was just lucky enough that they had a smaller job came across and they said all right okay we'll throw you a bone and and you know let's see how you go on this job and we did that job and uh that particular builder um 18 years on, we're probably one of their, we're, we're, we're one of their preferred contractors. So it sort of all, all came out of a, a shitty little $13,000 job that, you know, we absolutely bent over backwards to make sure we did everything right. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, over the years, the projects got bigger as their, their confidence grew in us. And, um, you know, they knew we were always going to look after them and we weren't there to screw them. And, you know, it's, uh, yep. It's the old adage with clients, you know, you want to you want to start down here and finish up here. Whereas I think a lot of a lot of contractors sort of start up here and really, you know, really impress them to start off with, and then it then it sort of falls, falls away down, and, and they and they drift drift off, you know, and and they wonder, you know, the contractor goes, oh, I wonder wonder what happened then, you know, and then they go, oh, that's right, we had that big blue about a variation, you know, yeah, <laughs> at yeah. the end of the job and someone's got the, sh- the, the shits and, you know, they, they won't use them again, you know. How would you approach, how do you approach Arnold's um, variations at the end of the job? How do you ensure that the customer's not disgruntled by something that you've gone and done or needed to yeah, do? Yeah, look, it's, um, we've got a very, very stringent change management process uh, when it comes to projects and, um Basically, we don't we don't move ahead with any um, any variation changes until such time as you know they've they've been really well communicated to the uh, to the client and the costs have been outlined and if there's argy bargy whether it's in scope or out of scope or whatever we try and have that we try and have that uh, discussion um, open and honest discussion up front yeah and um, so that everyone's comfortable with the with the exact issues and then you sort of listen to that, you know. So, yeah. Uh, I think that's the key to it. You just have to be, there's no point in trying to negotiate or communicate variations at the end of a job. It's that, that, that mode will never, that, that mode will never end well for anyone. Yeah. Do you think <laughs> that is the last, the last thing customers want is any form of bill, bill shock at all. You know, yeah. they want to know along the way exactly where things are at. If you've quoted something and it'd be the same for you or I, you know, if someone was fixing your car, you know, you don't want to go in there and he's quoted you $200 to fix it and you get there and he charges you $800. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's scalable from even installation of a light switch all the way up to a million dollar project is you still yes. have to communicate that to the owner uh, or yes. the project manager or whoever needs to approve the works um, yep. because it's their money that you're spending if you don't. That's yep, why you, definitely. Yeah. Or, or, or yours. If you or yours. If you <laughs> met, or you move ahead and do something and you haven't got an approval to do it, you're effectively spending your own money and yeah. you're, giving, you're giving something away. So. And then they get disgruntled and leave you anyway, so future work as well. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Communication is key. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you've been a big part of Master Electricians Australia. Can you talk a bit about that role and how you progressed through there? Yeah, it certainly wasn't planned. Um, I think it was about nine years ago now. I um, I decided my father Bob Arnold had had, um, had been a member for you know that I think he joined in nineteen seventy five. Um, 
And dad had always, you know, lent on, lent on um, ECAQ at that stage uh, or MEA, and um, but never been involved in the organisation. And and I'd sort of got to a stage, you know, of my career that I thought, well, while I'm young enough and and uh, and I could see a lot of things in industry probably not going particularly well. Um, and I thought rather than be one of those blokes that. That, you know, in the peanut gallery, <laughs> I yeah. thought I'll, I'll, I'll uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll give something back to uh, to industry, you know. And uh, at that point in time, it was only a one year engagement, so I thought, look, I'll jump in there for a year and and do my bit, and um, and then you know, move off gracefully. And yeah, you know, that was that was nine years ago. It rolls over, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So uh, look, I'm. Uh, I had a couple of years there as senior vice president, um, just assisting Richard Flanagan, who's a, who's a you know a great president for the organisation. Um, I've now taken up the role of president. Um, I've had a one year one year in that role. Um, I've probably got you know they're two year terms. I'll probably do this next year and another two years, and and then I think. Um, you know, after 13 odd years, that would have been um, probably plenty to give back to industry. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, so, I'll, I'll, I'll ease off into the sunset then and, and you, you can have the job. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, yeah, not me. <laughs> um, so with that role, like what, have you, what are you learning about um, contractors and electricians? What, what are some of the things that are coming up that maybe another person who's not in your role would, not know about uh the role is you we're really as president you're heading up a an organization a representative organization you know that represents you know nearly three thousand contractors from all over australia you know it's a great privilege um and you know the meal board which you know i had the pleasure of sitting on with you um and the ECAQ or the MEAQ board, um, who basically runs all the back office stuff for the organisation, they they employ f- sort of nearly sixty people. Um, so it, it's a big it's a big animal. It services a lot of contractors. There's a lot of tech calls. There's a lot of IR calls. Um, I've learned a lot about IR. I've learned a lot about how how to service contractors. Yeah. But but as you know, as an organisation, we we're here to help contractors and we need to know what contractors want and that's that's what I'm really passionate about now is is making sure we've got the the raft of services that are going to best serve contractors across Australia and yeah. um you know there's no you know there's there's no ego or anything in it I don't think for any of us that sit on the board there I think we're we're all genuinely interested uh, participants yeah. who are who are trying to do the absolute best for contractors. Mm. So that's what I'm most excited about, you know, driving that process forward. Yeah. No, that's cool. Really good. So um, with the um, – is there any tips or like mistakes that you've made in, in your career as an electrician or electrical contractor which you feel like you could teach other people? Like what are some of the major th- – what are three of the biggest things that you feel like if – Maybe when you were thirty, what what would you wish you knew when you were thirty? Let's say that. Oh wow, man! I've made so many mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> I've made some clangers. Um, <laughs> and look, to be honest, they because uh, I'm I'm a bit um, CDO, which is the same as OCD, but in alphabetical order. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a bit next um, level up. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I'm very process driven, and I know if, if I know in our own business, if, if all the processes are right and everyone's following the processes, that you know things will get done correctly and we'll, we'll always get a good outcome. But probably the biggest mistakes I've made in my life are unfortunately around people, um, and just I've probably been a little bit too trustworthy with people, and. Um, and I've probably had three or four people do me irreparable damage, um, you know, from a trust perspective. Um, and, and you know, that, that gets a bit uncomfortable dealing with, um, you know, yourself. But uh, it hasn't damaged me too much. You know, I still probably put too much trust in people. But, um, you know, I think I, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But I think when, you, when you're dealing with people, 
you really need to get everything in writing, you know, as much as I've always been, you know, happy to work on a handshake, I think, you know, if it's not written down, I can't hear you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And some people are thinking about other things when you're talking to them about uh, an agreement and they're, you know, not taking it in properly. Exactly right, yeah, you know. And there, and there's uh, we've got a bit of a saying in our business that, you know, there, there is no such thing as an, there's no expectations. It's either a so yeah. you know it, it, it's it, you know you've got to make people understand it is this is a requirement of of what you need to do mm. um, or it's an it's a co-authored agreement where everyone sits down and they understand exactly what's got to happen it's written down and everyone signs on it so that at any one point in time there's no uh, there's no opportunity to say but I I thought you expected me to do this no 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 we didn't expect you to do anything <laughs> yeah no expectations yeah you know, yeah it was so, clear clear cut black or white yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I've always, I've never been a fan of when people say, you know, it's expected of you because I think there's, there's an air of, you know, um, it just brings up that air of confusion. It was like, oh, well, I expected this and oh, I got that. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't yeah. expecting that. You know, yeah. you know, you've got to be very clear. And again, it comes back to communication, you know. That's um, probably the one thing that is every argument is when someone doesn't meet expectations for whatever reason the past um, experiences leading up to that moment where they're just like, oh, I expected you to do that. But the other person has totally different experiences and they didn't expect to do that and all of a sudden. That's true. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and that's, it'll put your tradesmen off, it'll put your customers off. You know, you just need to be very clear you know, about, about what the requirements are for, for, um, for people in their in their, their daily duties or you know the way you're communicating with them as, as customers you know? yeah so, yeah cool but uh yeah i mean other you know there's obviously the the, the classic mistakes we all make you know undercooking a uh, undercooking a tender or a quote or, or all of those sorts of things that you know um as good as i think a lot of people think they are you know we're all going to experience that at one stage or another in in different levels yeah <laughs> um we've we've had our good ones and we've had our bad ones you know but uh and i think when you it's another thing in our business now you know we look at the jobs that we're doing we we're constantly reviewing how we're going on our our earned values um how many how many hours we've expended on a job where our materials have been expended and what our cost of completes are yep and and by doing that and by really staying on top of those things um you can you can identify when things are going pear-shaped early and you can um a lot of a lot of people seem to to go into oh well we'll just throw a pile of labor at it and and try and try and get it fixed as quickly as we can or you know they put their c team on it when when things are going bad on a job you want your a team on it you know, yeah you just want to you want to get your, your A team in there and you want to get everything sorted as quickly as you possibly can to try and, um, you know, minimize the financial damage as much as you can. So yeah. I think you just got to be open and honest with yourself and go, yeah, we've got a problem here. How are we going to, you know, how are we going to minimize the, the damage, you know? And, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, you know, there's some big contractors out there, you know, without naming any names of, you know, had, had some, horrific jobs you know in the last you know five or ten years you know where they've lost you know millions millions of millions and millions of dollars and you just you got to shake your head and go how does how, how does, does it happen, happen? You know? yeah <laughs> you know? yeah you know and i think a lot of it comes down to market pressure at the at the tender phase of a job or the negotiating phase of a job where you know again it comes back it doesn't matter how big or small you are if you know exactly where your costs are yeah you, you you're less likely to fold to that that classic old line of oh well, this guy's this guy's five percent cheaper than you you know go back and have another look at your price because this guy's five percent cheaper um, yeah you know I, I always argue you know we we don't pay our we don't pay our estimators really really well to come up with really really crappy numbers yeah. you know we when we do a tender review we all sit around we'll we'll do a tender review with two or three people um so we've got different perspectives on a on a project and and be comfortable where all of the numbers are 
what the labour allocations are, what the material allocations are, where the mar where the margins sit. Yeah. Um, where where can we do this better than the next guy? But I think, you know, in the mid tier contractors, I think there's just too many guys that go, oh well, if he's five percent cheaper than me, I'll just drop my price without without really, you know, considering, you know, can I actually can I actually forfeit forfeit, you know, mm. that, that money in the job, you know? Yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it gonna leave me short at the end of the day? Because, you know, God knows we've all had plenty of practice. You know, we don't need any more. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think like um sometimes a, a big thing, because labor is such a big component of the uh, estimation, is it sometimes that contractors might be overestimating the skill and and uh, the time necessary to complete certain tasks and so putting in less hours which equates to a lot of money is that yeah. do you have any tools that you use or strategies to ensure that you're not quoting on the fastest person and then yeah. getting the slow like you were talking about a and c teams before you obviously yeah. don't quote on the a team and then put your c team in that's devastation straight away that's right, yeah, and it's a matter of making sure that the rates you've got in your estimating packages, whether it's a Conest or, a, you know, Winest or whatever whatever sort of estimating package you're necessarily using, you're making sure that, you know, the guys that have built those packages um, you know, are, are all very smart cookies that have been around industry for a really long time. You know, those are the labour rates that are plugged into those estimating programs are about what you would expect out of the average average sort of electrical worker so you plug all of those rates in and then and then it's up to you to look at your team of guys and work out where the productivity is you know am i and anyone think anyone that thinks that they're going to get 90 percent productivity out of their guys i think are just kidding themselves you know Bit optimistic great if, great if you can do it but i think you know on on larger projects if you were getting sort of you know between 70 and 70 and 80 percent productivity you'd probably be doing pretty well you know by the time you factor in all your pre-starts and your and your smoko breaks and your lunch breaks and and um you know all of those sort of things you know i think that's that's where it's always going to land so you've got to you've got to when you're quoting a job um especially in the mid-tier and the larger tier you know i, I know for a fact that we all We'll hover around those sort of productivity rates because that's about the best you're going to do. Yeah. For smaller teams, for smaller teams that that you really trust, if you've got two or three guys and you're doing a, you know, a job with maybe four or five hundred hours in it, you know, and you know that your team could bust it out, and and you know that's when you can start to ramp your productivity numbers up. You know, when you've got a tried, a tried and trusted crew. Yeah. You know, but, and you know um, their performance. That's right. Yeah. yeah. You know, but there's always those little. The little, the little things that catch you out, you know, yeah. something not turning up on time, or you know, delivery doesn't turn up, or whatever. You yeah, know? more so, of those pricing well, tools that you just said before. Uh, Conest, uh, that's one that we use, um, and there's, uh, I think there's one called Winest as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, you might find the um, the websites for those and put them in the, sh the show notes. Yeah, yeah. For people to yeah. check. Yeah. What do yeah, you check for, sure. like when hiring? What are some of the things that you do to ensure that that you get the right electrician for you? Do you go through a process to ensure that you get the right person for Arnold's? Yeah, most certainly. Yeah, look, we've got uh, you know from for just a, the general electrical worker, um, we we always do reference checks on them. Uh, we always see where they've been, what sort of experience they've had. Um, they all get at least one or two interviews, um, but we—you've got to, you know—we—you've we, got to make sure that the guys, the right, going to fit into the culture of your business. Well. Culture, yeah. Sometimes when when you get into larger teams, um, some people would say, "Oh, it's hard to maintain a, a you know a similar culture in a bigger team because you've got so many people to influence." But I think a lot of that influence comes by how you how you. Um, you do your pre-starts every morning. You know when you get a you know ten new guys starting a new crew. You know you can influence them right from the get-go with you know your leading hands and your foreman in that in that whole pre-start. This is how we're going to go about doing this today. These are your tasks and 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 set set goals for them straight away. Yep. And they'll they'll instantly go. Oh, okay. I'm being organised 
I'm being organized here. Yeah. Um, and I, they feel comfortable straight away because they know that there's, you know, they themselves, they, they, the blokes don't come to, um, the majority of blokes I'd like to maintain don't come to work to, to sit around and twiddle their thumbs, you know. Blokes generally want to work and uh, sometimes they're not given that opportunity because material hasn't been organized or, you know, work fronts haven't been organized for them and, and mm. those sort of things, you know. So I think it's it's really important to to um to make sure that you you're employing people with um with a bit of a, a go at it you know attitude about them you know and that's what we really look for in people how do you and, uh, how do you find that though how do you what's the thing that you go okay this is the person with that go attitude you generally can't do it in an interview you know yeah. you can have the, the the nicest bloke in the world can sit there in front of you and say i've done this and i've done that and i worked here and i've worked there and and uh, it's not until you put them in a team and um, that's where our guys, you know, we can put a guy in a team of, you know, 10 of our guys that have been with us for uh, a few years and, and they generally sort them out pretty quickly. Yeah, I see that. <laughs> with a... Yeah, they're not fitting in or... <laughs> that's right. They need they'll a lot of improvement. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They'll either make it through the week or the day or they, or they won't, you know. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, you pay people good money, you know, you, you don't... Um, you know, you want you want to make sure you're getting the the best for your dollar. You know, the best the best yeah. output for, for for your dollar spent. It comes you know down to productivity again. So if they're not putting out that productivity, then exactly yeah. right. But you've got to, the other thing I'd sort of you know reinforce is you've got to give them the opportunity to be as productive as they possibly can. You know, it's yeah. not it's not it's not a one way street. Yeah, yeah, yeah two way definitely. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah, I'm really stoked you could be with us today is there anything else that you you could share with the industry today electricians contractors anything else tips strategies something that they could uh, use or take away from today they would have got a lot of information anyway just from hearing your how you operate yeah i think probably the most important thing that you know i, I just i think our you know as an industry we're, we're worth a lot more money uh, i think the reason we're not why we're not getting that 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 premium dollar is because um, it's it's very competitive, um, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be competitive. But I think um, there's a lot of there's a lot of contractors out there probably not not doing themselves you know the best financial justice because they as as I started with you know they haven't quite pinned down exactly where their costs are, mm. um, and you know we're we're in it to make a profit you know and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing you know we shouldn't be ashamed about making a profit in business you know because. Because uh, ultimately, if we profit, um, you know, our customers actually benefit because we can provide better services. Um, you know, we can we can train our people better. You know, we can get a better result all around. So, if anything, that would be the one thing that I'd, I'd probably you know say to a lot of people is is you know that's you've got to know exactly where your numbers are. You know, and we don't get them all, we don't get them right all the time. But I think if you get them right ninety percent of the time, you're gonna you're gonna give yourself a pretty a pretty good opportunity to make a, a good good uh, a good lifestyle for yourself. Also setting up for the future as well. If you're having, you know, it's not about just making base rate every time because as soon as you have one bad month, you're out sort of thing. So especially right. new guys coming yeah. into the industry, I think it's really important that they, you know, price to make profit because if they don't, that one bad month will put you out. Exactly. And that yeah, leads to you know. a lot of stress and... It does, yeah. Look, and uh, there's a lot of other things we could talk about structure and and um, you know a big one for me is 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 succession planning. I think there's a lot of contractors that don't. You know, I think every every contractor should start his contracting business with a clear view of how he's going to get out of it and 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 what that looks like. You know, in ten years' time, or fifteen years' time, or twenty years' time. Yeah. I think a lot of a lot of contractors just start and they go. Right, I'm going to contract, and you know they get 15 or 20 years down the track, and they have, they might have a business with 10 or 15 guys working for them, and and then suddenly it's right. What do I? How? Do, what's my exit strategy here? You know. Um, yeah. I think if you if you think about those things early, you know, you give you you're giving yourself a, a good opportunity to to bring some some youth through your business and, and let them take it over and then you gradually you gradually roll out you know and everyone benefits from it you know and that's that's certainly something that we've got um, firmly firmly in our sights over the next 10 years yeah i just want to come back to one point you made earlier i think it's 
really great where you are now and you're in a position where you've given yourself the opportunity to go out and you said, I think I have to fit in the triathlon and the running and the cycling and everything. And you said you, you went through a real tough time in your 40s. What was that? What was the cause of that? What, what, is it a mindset thing or was it a, a, I, a, I, I a think environmental it's, influence? No, it's just, I think it's just the, um, you know, the, when you're in, in small business, medium business, you you know, if if you're driven if you're driven to to um to grow a business, uh, you you just by nature you um you're just one of those guys. There'd be plenty of guys out there that are working sixty and seventy hours a week, and they're not spending enough time with their families. And you know they're financially they're getting ahead financially, but um you know looking back now, you know it's it all of that's great, but you know it does it does take a toll on you. And um you know I I spent a weekend with a mate of mine who who was bashing away on his computer, you know, he's in his early 30s and he's bashing away on his computer at 11.30 at night and, and I sort of looked back and, and thought, you know, you don't, you shouldn't need to do that, you know. If, yeah. you're, if, if, if you're doing those mega hours, you've got to look at how your business is structured and, um, you know, business business is about lifestyle as much as it, as it is about, you know, personal lifestyle as much as it is about financial lifestyle. So yeah. I think you have to get that balance right. You know? balance. And I... I, I probably had that wrong for a long, a long period of time. <laughs> yeah. So what, what what did you do though? Like, what was the things that you did to say, right now I've got to become balanced? What are those things that you did? I think that would be really important. I, I know a lot of people in that position now, including myself. Yeah. Like a couple of years ago, I just couldn't stop working. I just couldn't switch off at home. Um, that's something I've definitely gone through. I know a lot of other people are at the moment. So what are the yeah. things that you did? coming out to get into the position you are now where you are able to have a balanced life? It's um, it's getting the structure in your business set up, you know, and, and making sure that, you know, probably a lot of my responsibilities now are, are very much laid off on general managers and project managers and, and you know, financial people and HSEQ people. And, you know, I've, we've got that really good structure about the business, which takes a lot of load off me. Um, but... You know, it's it's taken a long time to get there. You know, and and uh, you, you just need to be able to uh, empower those people um, uh, to to make sure that a they're not going, they're not suffering those same stresses of you know being being overworked. So you need to make sure they've got the correct amount of workload about them. Yeah. Um, um, and, and basically, just make sure the business can maintain all those people too. So it it comes down to you know as as we've found as our business has grown over the last, particularly over the last 10 years that I've managed to probably be in a place now where a lot of my responsibilities are, are very much strategic responsibilities um, where, you know, I'm probably the guy that's keeping all the plates spinning, you know, and make sure that I, I have a regular touch point with all of our key managers and and um, make sure they're happy, you know, and, and, and all, always looking for um, areas where we can improve, you know, and... Um, you know, I think that's when you get the balance right, it works really well for everyone. Whereas I think in small business, we try and do everything ourselves, and it's it's a matter of saying, well, okay, I've got to I've got to empower and I've got to entrust someone to to take this take this load away from me, and just trust that they'll do it. And they won't do it right all the time. They won't necessarily do it your way, but um, you know, they'll, they'll get it done. Yeah, <laughs> you've got to eventually. Sometimes you've got to grit. You got to grit. You got to grit your teeth, and you go, "Look, they'll get it done." You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, sometimes they won't get it done quite as smartly as you would like them to. But um, you know, you got to go. Well, is it hurting anyone? No, right? Okay. Plus, so it gives are. you the lifestyle. Um, well, it that's helps right. you balance, which is so important. Yeah, um, that's right. The health yeah. and health and everything else that comes along with that as well. Yeah, and really, that's what life's all about. You know, you got to be fit and healthy because, you know, there's there's no point in being. Uh, being super wealthy and uh, and not being uh, not being physically fit and, and mobile and, and be able to you know go overseas and you know walk around or run a marathon or you know um, you know do all those great things that the world's got to offer. Cool. So is there anywhere that people can go to connect with you or find out more about Arnold's? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me, um, uh, Tony Arnold, on LinkedIn. Uh, our web page is there. Um, you happy for people uh, to, in the industry to connect yeah. with you through there? Yeah, 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 yep. for sure. You know, I've I've always been a big advocate for helping people, and if anyone wants to ring me at any stage, and uh, there's certainly no secrets. And I think um, 
if we can uh, if we can pass on some of some of our knowledge, which I don't think any I don't think anything we do is necessarily rocket science. It's um they're just it's just good sound business practice, you know. So, uh, but yeah, certainly anyone who who wants to have a chat for for any reason or another, I'm always happy to field a field phone call or an email. So um, cool. Yeah, all those details are on our on our website. Yep, I'll put that in the show notes as well. And yeah. um, for Master Electricians Australia, can you give any of the listeners a, a great deal? Is there a link you can go to? I can put up, they get a good deal to join. <laughs> you put me on the you put me on the spot now, but <laughs> I think there is there there is still a deal running. I'm pretty sure, but um, look, I think as as base membership for Master Electrician, I was only talking to a contractor last Thursday in a in a in a coffee shop. Um, you know, great bloke who's been been in the industry for a long, long time. He'd he'd gone to a competitive um, association um, and certainly wasn't happy. And he wanted to touch base with me and just get a bit of a an understanding of what MEA had to offer. And uh, when I told him, you know, at that that nine hundred odd dollar price point with the insurance and the basic safety, the IR. The technical support, you know, it is, I think, by far the best best offering in the market. You know, I might yeah. be a bit biased, but um, yeah, yeah. Look, you know, I'd, I'd I'd really recommend people to certainly certainly seek seek what's out there in the market. But uh, you know, in in my own view, MEA has certainly got the best the best best culture in the organisation, and uh, you know, the best best people to service. Um, you know, small to medium and large contractors. Yeah, we definitely utilise the technical team. Like throughout our whole team, like instead yeah. of calling, and it frees up a lot of time for management as well. When yeah. electricians in the team can call someone who's ready to answer technical questions, that means the manager's not answering them anymore. Um, yeah. And then they can feed back to the manager or the business owner like things that they didn't know before, um, which yeah, exactly. helps everyone grow in the business. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Cool. I'll put that in the, in the show notes as well. Good stuff, mate. Cool. Uh, thanks, Tony. Really appreciate you being with us. And um, if anyone has any questions, uh, wants to connect with Tony, I've got all the links below. And uh, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon. Good on you. Thanks, Greg. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for being here. Just a reminder, use the promo code P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast, all in capital letters, at checkout at the Electrician Success Academy to get a lifetime 10% off for being one of our awesome listeners here at the Electrician Success Podcast. Anyway, have a fantastic day. I hope you're crushing it out there, and I'll see you in the next episode.